0: You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to
1: join each of our listeners Uh, This Friday in December.
0: Yay, it's Friday.
1: It is Friday. And we are on the brink then of uh, some very notable um,
0: seasonal events. Yeah, like um, shopping.
1: (laughs) You know that murderous event that uh do you remember years ago when there was a guy who was a uh, security person or worker in a walmart he was over six foot something and he was trampled to death as a result of the black friday shopping john
0: that is that's crazy horrendous that's horrible egregious what is it? We don't have all year to shop. Now, all of a sudden, so we have to shop starting the day after Thanksgiving. What really shocks me is
1: I don't remember any charges being pressed against uh, anyone. I'm not encouraging any listeners to go out and do that. But I seriously do not remember any charges being brought against that
0: mob who, who trampled this man yeah, to death. That's horrible. It is horrible. But let's not start with that. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is, you know, Christmas time where... You know, Christmas time is here, and right. hopefully, you know, there's joyful, cheerful things we can think of and Falala. talk about. Yeah,
1: you know, it's it's significant because uh, during this season uh, there is the celebration of Hanukkah, referred to in John ten, the, the Feast of Lights. Right. Yeah, that has an intertestamental background to it. That's yeah, very yeah. significant and was celebrated by Jesus. Yes. Um, there's also the Christmas holiday uh, that um, that celebrates the the thought and the event of the first advent. It does not argue that it occurred during the season, but it is a season or time in which we acknowledge the first advent or the first coming of Jesus The Christ.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: And uh, and uh, we, in fact, we've decided to take a pause during our Ruth uh, conversation and engage in talks on the incarnation.
0: Love it. I mean, this is you know theology at its finest, and this is probably the probably one of the most important theological discussions or concepts or ideas or realities. Um, that uh, has happened in the course of time. Um, The most important I think is the resurrection, uh, but you don't have a resurrection unless you have a birth. Absolutely. And so the incarnation of Christ is um, something we can contemplate on probably for the next few weeks, Um, and we can go longer if we want to, but during this Christmas time, uh, just to think about uh, what it means and what it meant and what it still means. Uh, for for Christians around the world, and for maybe for people who are really not there, Uh, maybe they're sort of on the journey towards belief, and maybe there's uh, questions about how this all worked. Um, And uh, anytime we think about Christ, and think about who he is and what he's done, um, and the implications of all that, that's, you know, we're talking about some good Conversation and oh, that
1: it really should dialogue. be a rich conversation. I, I did want to take a moment just to mention that it matters to us that people are listening, and um, uh, we'd like to know that people are listening because our goal is um, um, not simply to teach the word of God, but to teach it in a way that is efficacious and and reaches. Uh, the hearts and the ears of people. And so we have a, a couple of requests for our listeners. Uh, number one is we have a Facebook page. Yes, we do. Yeah, Living Truth. Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Living Truth Radio Broadcast. And and our, our request, th- the first part of that request is, we'd like to know if we are actually reaching individuals. We'd like to know that the message uh, of the Book of Ruth, uh, that the Word of God is actually reaching the hearts and the ears of people. And so we'd like if our listeners would actually come to Living Truth Radio Broadcast and like the page and make a comment, say something, interact with us so that we will know that you are there and God is speaking to your heart. Excellent. Excellent. And and secondarily, um, um, we want to uh, be... uh, in partnership with people, we'd love to have um, financial supporters who see the uniqueness of this broadcast, the uniqueness of our biblical and theological conversations as worthwhile, and would like to support that effort on uh, Friday's uh, and uh, maybe businesses that would like to financially sponsor broadcasts uh, both for now and also the broadcasts on uh, Saturdays from four to five because we believe by the grace of God that it's something that's direly important. And we'd like um, we'd like to know that you value that and you count that something that you'd like to see uh, continue. Uh, so we'd love to have that support.
0: Yeah, and we thank you for that too.
1: Absolutely, you know, John, um, the issue that we're going to discuss uh, for the next couple of weeks or so, maybe three weeks, is has been historically
0: quite controversial. Oh, I mean, it's it's a question. In fact, when I mean, it boils down to who Jesus is, right? I mean, it boils down to even the question that he he asked his own disciples, "Who do people say that I am?" You know, yes. and at, even while he's living, there was dispute, debate, um, uncertainty. You know, some people thought he was the Messiah. Some people thought he was just a prophet and maybe just a mere man or a crazy teacher. But ever since then, even with the start of the church, the early church wrestled around the question of really who exactly was Jesus? Um, was he God? Was he human? Was he neither? Was he both? And they took that that very seriously. The question of who Christ is, in fact, is, is a question that even scripture talks about uh, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Uh, and John talks about um, the necessity of, of getting that getting that right, because uh, John says even the spirit of the Antichrist is the one who denies certain things about Jesus. You yes. know, so the question who, of who Christ is uh, really is the bedrock of all questions. And um, so what you think about Jesus, or what you believe who he, who he is. Um, can really have an effect on your eternal future. Well, I, I love
1: to liken this uh, doctrine and or any other doctrines analogously to a well-woven sweater. And if you are um, familiar with the knitting of a sweater, by the way, you have
0: a very nice sweater. <laughs> I am holding a nice rope This is my favorite <laughs> sweater. It keeps me nice and warm. It's wool, and uh, I've had good travels with this has gone to israel with me so and it's um i'm breaking it out you know because in arizona it doesn't get very cold very often in phoenix so i know um get to break this out and and, and, and but, it is dashing man well you know, thank you very much i better be nice to you today you know <laughs> yeah, really. you yeah. know
1: i i like to i like to build a similitude analogously betwixt um, um, a a garment, a a woven garment, and theology, and what one has to be aware of is that every thread of our theological conviction is essential, uh, because if one pulls the thread out on a particular doctrine, uh, they must understand that doctrine uh, is interwoven, interconnected. And if you pull one thread, right. it will, with certainty, affect every other thread. Uh, if you get it right, it affects other doctrines. If you get it wrong, it affects other doctrines. And
0: I, I think it's important because, you know, okay, in, in one sense, we're going to discuss, you know, th- deep theology, right? In which we want to get a very crystal clear understanding um Of who Christ is, right? And we don't want to be vague. Um, You know, early church councils argued over one letter, of a Greek letter, you know, one iota, literally, um, to make sure they got it right. And some people today might say, "Well, what's the big deal?" Well, no, it's it is a big deal if if uh, a true understanding of who Christ is. Uh, has implications. And the other thing uh, we want to discuss is the implications of that knowledge. We don't want to just leave it in the historical, ethereal, this is great, you know, but how does the fact that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who became man, yet stayed, he's still God, yet he's man, how does that fact help me today if I am struggling, if I am facing difficult you know I mean when the rubber meets the road type of situation how does that really affect me and we want to sort of bridge that gap and 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 discuss that as well because there's great implications for what Christ what he did because uh, though it happened 2,000 years ago the implications of it are still impactful for today so that's kind of where we want to we want to go. absolutely which i think is extraordinarily exciting so let's let's i guess we're talking about the incarnation let's define those terms because and as i you know sort of alluded to the the fact that the the second person of the trinity became man or took on human flesh or took on humanity let's say uh or human nature okay um how we want to be very clear on the finite because it's some people must say well it means that god became man well that's too vague Mm-hmm. More precisely, it's the second person of the Trinity. Trinity became man, but then of course that assumes other no thing. You assumes that you accept the Trinity. So you can go. You, there's a lot of. There's it's a, a lot sweater. Of, there's a whole sweater of as as you. I love the analogy. Thank you. These threads that are they're interwoven, that um, that are important. If Christ is God, and if He's man, how does it work? How right. does it? How is? How do those come together? How does that even happen?
1: Well, here's the thing. As we are preparing to define this, we're not going to take anything for granted, even the term that we're going to use, quote-unquote, incarnation. One of the reasons that we're not going to take that for granted is because one will not essentially find the term incarnation in any of the 66 books of scripture. Um, And for some individuals, they would see this as an immediate problem. They would say, well, it's not in the Bible. Well, there are many terms that we use in theological speak that may not in fact be found in the Bible. That does not in fact undermine the veracity or the validity of those terms. But there are many terms which we should admit that about. Uh, For example, Um, when we use the term incarnation, actually that springs from a Latin term, um, incarnatio, uh, which literally means enfleshment or embodiment would be a a better concept. Uh, The reason why we use these terms, I should say, is because for terms to be biblical, they do not need to be terms that appear within the 66 books proper. They need to, however, be terms that summate or describe Describe. uh, biblical truths. And so the doctrine of the incarnation is an accurate biblical truth that has a summative or a descriptive term that pulls together this necessary doctrine and so the truth of scripture is god the son and i want to be very specific in that area has indeed and in fact come in the flesh was embodied in the flesh now we'll flesh that out we'll unpack that but if an individual were to say but is the term incarnation proper located in Genesis to Revelation, the answer is no. But that does not make it unbiblical. It simply suggests that it is a term that describes a biblical truth.
0: It'd be like saying, um, if I I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and it would snow a lot there. And if I said, there's a blanket of snow outside, okay, it's not a literal blanket, but I don't have to tell you that it's white everywhere. Just with the fact that I'm saying there's snow everywhere, you know, by, by the virtual fact that snow, it's white. So right. the fact is you' the, the scripture describes without having to use the actual term and we use the term to, as you say some or label uh, and or define what's going on you know um, so let's I guess you know just maybe start with the scripture maybe um, absolutely uh, I th- I'm thinking of the the one that comes to my mind is John 114
1: let's start there
0: and uh, maybe I can read absolutely we'll get the Bible and the conversation here absolutely Um and and John one fourteen it's and I'm jumping into the context but I'm going to just read the I'll just read the verse for now. And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld, his uh, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, obviously, I've jumped into the, to the chapter there, um, just for sake of time, whatever. But the Word became flesh. What what is that? What's what's going on there, and and what's what's John getting at there? That <coughs> is,
1: excuse me, the concept of our discussion, right? Namely, the word eternal becoming flesh. I think it's essential to start in the eternality of
0: the word, right? Before let, we start in. So the let, me, let me let me let me just son. go back then. Okay, Because John starts his gospel with a very familiar phrase. He yes. says, in the beginning was the word. Now, when, when you're reading that, and you're familiar with scripture, or if you were a, an audience member uh, hearing that, when you f- hear the phrase, in the beginning, immediately you think of Genesis 1. Absolutely. In the beginning, and God created the heavens and the earth. Well, now John is now picking up on that phraseology to, con- to help you to think, um, not only was God in the beginning, but the Word was in the beginning as well. And he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now you have, now you start into the discussion about the nature of God there. The Word being there with God, and the Word being God Himself as well. And so John carries that on uh, in this discussion. He says, He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being. in uh, by him and apart from him, nothing came to being that has come into being. And he just goes on from there. Talking about the, the relationship be- between the Word and God, the fact that there was the Word and there was God, and yet somehow they both are, are joined or the same. I,
1: I think it's important, John, to to go back and look at this um, and do
0: so microscopically. Okay. So <laughs> we're only at three weeks in this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we're, we're opening a pen Maybe we should just go back to Genesis. 1. <laughs> well,
1: actually, let, let's do that. I think we can do that in a truncated ver, uh, uh, version. Wait, hold on.
0: Truncated, yeah, uh, and abbreviated. You and truncated in the same in the same <laughs> phrase. Okay, okay. Let's let's see how this plays out.
1: Let, let's try it, shall so, <laughs> we? If you go to this text. And I'm, I'm just going to, for a moment, just uh, interact with the Greek text for a moment. Uh, we can both do that. Um, I'm rereading the text that you read in John one, verse number one. kai kai Now let's go back and unpack that. The text starts off, "In beginning was the word." Right now. As you said, there is a de- deliberate allusion back to Genesis 1, bara Elohim, In beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there is an allusion to the beginning. But what John is doing with the term arke, beginning, actually goes before Bereshith, the beginning of the creation. Creation. Right. So so while this is an allusion back to Genesis, it's actually an allusion that goes.
0: Predate to Genesis so right off the bat we can say that as, as John is going to say the word became flesh this word was in existence before creation was ever created absolutely which means that this word in some sense is eternal yes now just, just by that that very verse alone we know right off the bat that this word is with God before anything was created yes there's a clue there there is a clue that there's something very special about this word that's become man. Absolutely, uh, there, there, there is this,
1: there is this clue that there is something unique about this word, right? And and it precedes or goes before, comes before creation itself, right? Um, but we have to go further because it's even more than that. Uh, when we talk about the text in Arke ein halagas, this word ein is translated um, in the English text as "was," and uh, the translation is um, uh, is good, but it's not sufficient because it is in the imperfect in greek now right. that may not make a great deal of difference to our listeners yet but the imperfect can be thought of as an ongoing past circle or cycle right so that really in this particular text it is speaking of the Ongoing nature or the ongoing existence and of whatever the subject. I'm goes.
0: glad to clarify that because in English we say "was." That mm-hmm. doesn't really. The, the Greek is actually a word of existence of, yes. of being. That the this in the beginning, there there was an existence. The word, there was an existence. God existed before time. Correct. The word existed before time. Now that that opens up another discussion about. About the fact that god is outside of time right so, so i guess what we're we're trying uh, in one sense you know, unpack unpacking is the significance of the fact that for before creation before all before any of this god existed before time was created time is a created thing time space matter it's all created god existed right however long or you know that's what that looks like but then something very significant happens in that fact, there's a point in time when something happens where the second son of, the second person of the Trinity Jesus, the word made flesh, makes you know, makes it down to earth in that sense. But we're talking about before, John is painting the picture of, of here is the eternal God who before the creation existed. So in one sense we have to, uh, we, we have to wrap our, our head around that is the fact that here God existed before there was time. Absolutely. I mean, mentally, it's hard for us to even think about this. Well, what? how does God? Well, that's in God's realm. That's something that we can't fully wrap our minds around, but just the fact that John's revealing that God existed before there was ever time. And with God is. The logos, the word. Well, I think we can
1: see a bit of that within the the name of God, right? Right. Um, uh, in in Greek, Jesus Christ refers to himself as "ego a me," I am. "A me" is the present tense of the verb to exist, ongoing
0: existence, as it were. And then the word "ain" is the imperfect form. Is the imperfect the, form of, eimi. of
1: the term "a me" to right. exist? So it would be cyclical in past tense always existing, as it were. Right. Um, those terms, a me, the term, actually springs from the Hebraic term, "HaYa," which means to exist. And when I am introduces himself to Moses, he introduces himself as eheya, yehewa. Right. That is, I am that I am, or right. I will be who I will be. In I other am. words, God is the existing
0: one. Right, So, the, and, but just to piggyback on that, now John is is revealing Christ not only in the beginning with Genesis, but now with the existence of I Am with Christ as well. Correct, so, so basically what what is
1: being argued here in the grammar, what is being argued in the uh, idea that John is presenting and that scripture as a whole presents <laughs> is that God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and we'll speak to that right. uh, in, in a bit, is the existing God. Right. Not the God who came into existence, uh, not the God who was created, but the God who exists. Right. We may apprehend that. We may not comprehend that because for us, as finite beings, we are speaking concerning infinitude or someone who does not exist exists dependent upon anything or anyone else. Right. He operates in time, but is outside of time. He simply is. He exists ontologically or in the framework of his
0: being. I mean, how do you you think about when Paul or John <clears throat> is caught up to heaven, John sees revelation of Christ, and he sees um, things that, or even the prophets of old, they see things, uh, visions of heaven that, things that they cannot put into words. They have to use, it was like this. It was like that. It was colors like this. Because what they're seeing is something that they have never experienced before. And in one sense, their mind has to sort of have analogies. In fact, Jesus does the same thing in teaching about the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, or it's like this. He has to use analogies. That tells you that when we're discussing God, we fall way short on the language on our own you know on on English let's say if you're speaking English or even just on our what can we relate it to and we try our best but we are we fall away short which is interesting because hence you have one reason why Christ comes because it says uh, in scripture that that um, no one has seen God at all right at any time at any time but what but the son of this. this but the son who has come to do what has revealed him has revealed him and in, yes. th- in other words you we could only we would fall way short and we do fall way short in our understanding of what God is like we can have great theories and whatnot but it took the coming of Christ to fully reveal the nature and truth and uh, and love of God and that is one of the significant things about the incarnation is that without the incarnation and the coming of the son of god in human flesh our understanding or knowledge of God would fall way short. Now we have in Christ, one who comes to reveal or to exegete God. Yes,
1: Yes. that's why I think it's so important that when the text begins, in the beginning was the word. Of course, the term beginning is the language of accommodation, as it were, uh, because God um, uh, is without beginning. Right. Uh, But the the idea of the author is, um, um, if we can, think concerning eternality, always existing was the logos or the word, and then he goes further. So the first aspect of the verse argues for the eternality of his being or existence. In other words, whoever this person or whoever this concept of word logos is, he has always existed never coming into existence. Right. The second part of the verse is, kai halagas ein prostantheon, namely, and yes. the word was with the God. Right. Which is interesting because you have the same verb, imperfect, was, which is ongoing cyclical right. activity, past <clears throat> tense, but secondarily, you have a preposition, which is pros. Now, pros literally means toward, or we, we use this in the term prosopon, or in the face of facing so it's showing position right. of one object to another
0: object or one person to another person so so you have you have you have God and you have the word yes in one sense you have the word was God, but then you have the word was with God and the picture is what you're describing or the Greek is describing God and the word facing each other yes and the fact that John not only just says, not only carries you back to Genesis with in the beginning, he then carries you on. Not only was this word with God in the beginning, but this word was also the, the one through whom all things came into being. In other words, creation happened through this very word. So that tells you that this word is not, a, again, it's not created, he's not created, but he's also a very active part in the creative activity of God. He says, in fact, he says, all things came into being by him and apart from him, that's, he's talking about the word, nothing came into being. So in one sense, we're we're sort of, we're sort of looking at the nature of God, but, this, but we're looking at the relationship between this logos, the word, and God, well, God the Father. Which, which, according to the grammar, <coughs> there are several distinctions
1: that should be made. It, whoever, at this particular stage, the logos is, The Lagos is not simply words proceeding out of the mouth of God the Father. Mm -hmm. Secondarily, whoever the Lagos is, he stands in position to and distinct from the Father or God the Father in this way. He is facing or toward or the idea is he was forever in fellowship with right. the Father. So thus far we have two things being said concerning whoever this individual, the Lagos is. Right. Number one, he is eternal right. without beginning of days or end of days. He acts within time, but he is outside of time. In his being, he simply exists. Right on an eternal scale right secondarily and he was eternally in fellowship with or facing toward or in relationship with God the Father that's the second part right. of the clause right the third part of the clause is kai theos ein halagas or and god was the word we have, again, this use, this triple use of hain or ain, which is, again, the um, the imperfect form of the present tense verb to be or to exist. So what is being said in this latter stage is, and whoever the Lagos is at this point, right. he was eternally and is eternally
0: God of very God. Well, and you have just, again, in this first, now, we didn't plan on going through John 1-1 like no, this. No, we didn't plan to. But... It's a conversation. But it's we a conversation, but but the thing about it is, right off the bat, you have now a, a a revelation of sort of the nature of something about the nature of God that God is, in one sense, um, has at least two persons.
1: We see that clearly in the grammar just, of the Just Greek text. The, in the grammar Undeniable. of
0: John one one, you already have a duality at least. Obviously, we know that the Holy Spirit um, finishes up the Trinity, but just in this short one or two verses we've looked at so far, you have the the fact that God himself is more complex than you and I can ever imagine. And the fact that there's a relationship, you have two, yet you have one. You have, you have the word, and then you have... God and yet you have the word was God yet the word is distinct from God in one sense as well which is interesting because when later on when John says and the word became flesh he now he's pointing specifically to the word naming the second son or the second person of the Trinity he's not talking about God the Father becoming flesh he's not talking about God the Holy Spirit becoming flesh he's talking about now the second person of the Trinity which tells you something is that for all of creation, or for before creation, all of, of time, or before time existed, and that cyclical, or that, that whatever you want to call it, where he existed with God, facing, facing God, intimate fellowship with God, then there's a point where something changes. There's a point where, where he doesn't change himself. He's still the word, because John uh, is going to, well, we'll talk about that in a second, but something changes, he does something the word jesus does something that wasn't like that before before time he's still the word eternal right he's still god of very god eternal
1: he's still in fellowship with the father eternal but he does something that is going to change the game so to speak by the way um, for those that would argue that this is kind of Platonic Aristotelian thinking in a Greco-Romanized polytheistic society, in a in a multi-god society, they should know that there are breadcrumbs of this within the the Judaic Masoretic text. Right. Like, for instance, when you go to the Shema in Deuteronomy six four, right. which reads Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, uh, Hero Yisrael, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. one. This term Echad is particularly important because while it's translated one the meaning is far more complex right. as moses uses it right remember that moses uses this same term in Genesis chapter number one, verse number five, to describe Echad Yom, right. day one, and the day is comprised of the evening and the morning. evening uh, and the morning, and the morning is distinct from the evening and the evening distinct from the morning, but the two comprise one day, or right. Echad Yom. Right. Uh, the same term is used when you come to Genesis 2, 24, in which the man and the woman Become. are Uh, spoken of as echad one One flesh flesh. and the woman is not the man nor the man the woman but the two comprise one mysteriously somehow Um, and you could follow that through the Hebrew text I won't do it now but the concept is there is this musterion this mystery as it were and and the definition the theological uh, idea of a mystery is something that cannot be known until God unpacks it or
0: reveals it right I mean just, just so far what we discovered just in our unpacking of the scripture and discussion is that whoever this word was or is, he is God. He's eternal. He's eternal. He's not created, which tells you that, that there's, in fact, there's a lot of groups out there that, that would think that Jesus was a created being in Correct. the sense that he had a beginning, uh, a, a start. But for, in fact, it says in the beginning, this word already existed. Correct. So, there's something eternal about him. Well, that, that takes out, he's, he wasn't a mere man. He wasn't an angel, because angels had beginnings as well. They're not eternal beings with that. They were created as well. Um, so, there's something that is being revealed, and who this person was. Now, it's, we'll, we'll see later on the significance of that. God becoming man? Right. I mean, that is... That, that, that is that is that is pregnant, for lack of a better, word, with, with so much significance that God would become man.
1: And that's that's why I thought it's so essential to to go back. To the context, uh, the eternal context that is depicted in John chapter number one, um, as we contemplate verse number 14, because this is what's at stake uh, in getting this doctrine wrong or getting this doctrine right. Namely, the eternality of the existence of the word is at stake. Secondarily, the eternality of the intimate fellowship betwixt the word and and the Father is at stake. Third, the eternality of his deity, namely, him being God of very God is at stake. So to answer this right is to open up to us a moment of intense worship. Right. To answer this wrong is to affect, um, um, with, with a great doctrinal disease, so many other concepts such as pneumatology, Christology, theology proper, um, soteriology, the doctrine of our salvation, Salvation. it's going to affect everything. And so this time of year, this understanding of this doctrine
0: is major. So then here's, I'm just thinking out loud, Um, but you gotta ask the question, okay, here's God from all eternity past, who is the word, who is with God, intimate fellowship, why in the world would you come down to this earth to do what you did? Why would you even leave that place, you know, to uh, enter into our realm? Why right. even, why even do that? Because you know, John says, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth." The the the, the reasoning between them, because. I mean, I'm thinking selfishly. I would not want to leave that position of having. I mean, how can that's the perfect place to be? Is in intimate fellowship with God. Why would this second person of the Trinity? Why would the Word, the Logos, Christ, do that?
1: that that's an astounding concept, and, and and I think that for my part, I want to simmer in the contemplation. Yeah. As I sit across from you, I am pros. I am toward you. Right. I am in fellowship with you. Right. I am in communion with you. Um and so if someone were to ask me do you want to lo- leave the studio and leave that position? Um, um
0: uh, number 1, I wouldn't want to, but life necessitates. You have to go home and see your wife and kids. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I am mean, the fellowship this year is here's great, but you know, we have to we have to part ways sometimes and go off in our ways. But such was not the case,
1: right? Betwixt the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, it, this was a decision that was not forced upon the Son, right? It was embraced by the Son, which is astounding.
0: So then, there's something. Again, we're unpacking this. Then, then there's something. Something significant had to have happened. Yes, for the Son to willingly because nobody had he's God God knows what he wants to do for him to leave that position however temporary that was however that looked like for him to uh, even make the trip down here and leave that something had to motivate him in such a way that says going there is more beneficial or has significance than me staying more than me staying here yeah that, that, you know, here's in, in, I imagine, you know, I'm just in my crazy mind, I'm thinking, imagine one moment where Jesus is talking with the angels and the angels are saying, are you sure you want to go through with this? I'm just making this up. Okay. Are you sure you want to go through this? Cause you know, it's going to, it's kind of crazy down there. And one moment he is, he is the son of God and his kingdom in heaven. And the next moment he's in a young teenager, young lady's womb. And you know, conceived and gonna grow and grow into a man. And everything else, I I can't imagine how what perplexities even the angels saw in that. But yet, something motivates. Something brought him willingly. He wasn't. He didn't come. Uh, he wasn't forced. This is a willing choice. There's something that brought him that far. I, I think we should entertain that um, because
1: it's an essential discussion. Um, um, but. But I also think that in, in developing that discussion, um, we have to mention the complexities of verse number 14, as you brought up earlier, right. because again, reading the Greek text, the text says, kai halaga eganeta. Now, this is important because this term eganeta literally means became. In other words, it's it's here's fanciful grammar, right? Um, it is an aorist punk, which means it's a definite point in time. Now, if you compare that with chapter one, verse number one, the eternality that is depicted in the term was, 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 that is mentioned three times in verse one alone. There is the eternality of his existence, the eternality of his fellowship with the Father, the eternality of his very existence as God. But what was not eternal, what was locked in time, was the fact that he, Kai halaga saqs eganeta, in other words, that he became flesh. Here's what we're dealing with. What we're dealing with is: if you want to know when did God the Son exist, you don't have a calendar that can speak intelligently to that, because he has always existed. Right. If you want to know when he was in fellowship with the Father, Again, your calendar cannot encapsulate that because he always existed in fellowship, in communion toward positionally God the Father. If you want to know when he became deity, you're asking the wrong question because he never became deity. He was always God of very God. Right. But if you want to know when he became man, ah, there's the right question, right. because God the sun eternal was not always man there was a point or a period in time within the framework of the first century where the eternal infinite god touched the finitude of time space matter and therein is the discussion
0: now just the just the fact that you brought that up of christ of jesus becoming man speaks volumes because how many of how many of the world's religions and beliefs are the opposite where do certain things to try to elevate yourself to become more like God right I mean isn't that the lie that the serpent told Eve hey if you, you eat this uh, this fruit you'll become like God right that's in fact a regular religion in the world in one sense, tries to elevate man to Godhood. Okay. Tries to elevate, make, listen, I, I don't know about you. You have a better vertical leap than I do. You can probably slam dunk really well. Um, I, I probably can, you know, maybe I, give me a trampoline and I'll be able to do that. But even with your great vertical leap, no way you, you're what, you're what three feet off the ground. How how are you? How how we are so limited, even just our jumping ability, How are we gonna elevate ourselves to Godhood? John, it's it's not just a spatial jump. Right. It's a moral jump. It's it's not only that, it's a
1: nature jump too. It is. He's he's transcendent. He's he's alien he's altogether other, not so other that we cannot identify with him, right.
0: but so other that he is creator versus creature. So right off the bat, we, we've, we've established the fact that he, he made that trip. We'll call it a trip, okay? We'll just, you know, from heaven to earth, yes. okay? Um, because one, in one virtue of the fact that, that we could not make that trip. In other words, we don't have the vertical leap to leap that far. No, even if it's a spatially, uh, even if it's you know if you've gone a spaceship and go a, a gazillion light years away, we still can't make that trip, either physically or even ontologically or or naturally. We can't make that trip, right. so he had to make that trip, which tells you that the the fact that there's so many times when we are trying to make that trip, that we as man, you know, I mean, look at Genesis 11, look at the Tower of Babel when you know they. Build this big tower, We you know, build ourselves to a, a stairway to heaven, so to speak. Uh, that's not going to work. That is. There's nothing you and I can do that can that can change ourselves, that can that can elevate ourselves, that can move us one iota closer to the divine, to God, to heaven. But yet that is so much of what a lot of religious activity around the world is. It's I'm gonna try to do better and improve or change myself. And Jesus, by virtue of the fact that he comes and becomes man, essentially says you cannot reach heaven. There's no way you can reach heaven. I have to come here and bridge that gap this way. And so right off the bat, you have a difference then in the fact that most religions of the world try to work their, their selves to, to God. I have to become better. I have to do, you know, I got to walk 50 miles barefoot on, on, on glass, you know, in the snow or whatever it is to to better myself. But it doesn't change you. But somehow God saw that and says, the only way is is by me bringing you there. And I have to make that trip to you, to live among you, to to, to show you what God is like. But you can't make that trip on your own without my help. So it, it speaks to the fact that we can't change our nature. We can't change our own stripes. We cannot, um, I mean... You, you know, it, it, it argues this
1: in a very practical way, because what we're discussing is a deep theological truth, but I think there's a practicality to what you're saying right, right. now, John and that is for any person that might be listening to us, overhearing our conversation, Um, any religious concept that leads you to believe that a personal human reaching up in order to redeem yourself, relieve yourself, and thereby be pleasing and appeasing and satisfying to God is a hopeless venture. So what do you do? You do not, in fact, rely upon your upreach. Right. You
0: rely upon his downreach. John, in that context, we didn't read this verse, but it says very clearly, he says, but as as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Yes. John ex- exactly says that. Who becomes child of God? Not the one who tries ever you know, with all their might to, to change themselves. It's the one who receives what God has done, receives this gift of Christ into their lives. Those are the ones that God changes into children of God John
1: our God wanted to be amongst us so badly that he did not come to the heights of the towers of Dubai he did not come to the height of the twin towers he did not come to the height of the mountain nor the mountainous ranges he did not come to the height of a, of a ten-story, nor an eight-story building. He did not come, um, as high as, eight foot, six foot. Our God, came so low. That He can reach. The ground. Right. That's what we refer to as Advent. It is. God touching the ground. Right. With that said, then, how high do you have to go? Right. The question is not how
0: high, the question is how low. How low. That's significant because you cannot, most people, in order to receive that, there has to be a bending of the pride, a bending of the will, and say, I can't, I, I'm trying to go up that way. And God says, no, 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 it's down here. It's on your knees, right? It's that, that picture of, of of submission, of res, of, of, of utter dependent dependence, that says, "God, I can't, but you can, and you have." When you, when you said he, he did not come, um, uh, he came for us. I wanna I wanted to say out to somebody out there that he came for you specifically, right? That that Christ made that entire journey. Even if you were the only one on this earth, if somehow something happened and you were the one, if Christ had to die for one person, he would have come for you specifically. Christ died for the whole all of humanity, but we lose the fact that he came to die and to teach us about God and to rescue us for not just us, but you as an individual, you as a person who feels hopeless and helpless and is thrown in the towel and has tried everything and nothing's worked. And of course, that's why the incarnation is, is because nothing we have done has worked. Nothing will ever work. It comes, it is the nature of God to do this. It is, if we go back to the beginning where God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was without form and void, right? And darkness was over the face of the deep. God sees this, this raw material, so to speak, and does something with it. And until God acts, that raw material stays the way it is. It is full of darkness. It is full of disorder. It is it is a, it is a mess. And the same thing with with life. Until God shows up on the scene, it is without with with it without. It is dark. It is without meaning. Without chaotic. With, it is chaotic. It takes God making that initial and that first step. And the one who He's the one who initiates in the relationship. Jesus says. I came to seek and save that which is lost. When you're lost, you don't know your way back. You need somebody to come and find you. And that's what Christ did in coming here is to seek and save those who are lost in the darkness.
1: What you're doing now John is you're you're wearing the sweater that we talked about earlier. It's a right?
0: little, it's getting a little chilly in this room. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what you're doing is you're wearing the theological sweater that we talked about because we, that we talked about earlier because what you're suggesting is that the incarnation God the son's coming affects the doctrine of soteriology namely salvation. Right. And it affects the doctrine of peripatology namely sanctification um it affects so many things in this way um that we have not walked into a relationship that is 100% cooperative in other words i don't reach up and god reaches up right i don't meet god somewhere in the middle God doesn't say to me, if you do, then I will. Right. That, that's not what's happening here. That's fallacious. Dare I say, that's demonic. Dare I say, that's humanism. Right. That is, I want at least to find myself somewhere in the bibliography credited with some portion of my salvation. Yeah, we want our name in the credits. Yeah, and you're not writing this book. God is. If right. there's anything that you bring to
0: this book, it's the sin you know it's it's funny because our pride we think well we're not that bad I, I, I'm better than this, you know name a dozen other people let's say you well, great you know you may be better than those other people but in comparison to God in comparison to the divine there, there's no there's no we're on the same boat you know we're all stuck you know right here's what I like in I like in the the inability of of us as man. Mankind, men, women, children, whoever The inability of us to rescue ourselves, I liken it to the man who was demon possessed with, with a legion of demons. Here's this man who was who was left because society didn't know what to do with him. The chains couldn't bind, they couldn't hold him. And so he was left. People left him, they knew who he was, but he was left alone because, and the poor guy was, was possessed greatly By over a thousand demons, right? The son of man didn't uh, didn't. Jesus didn't say, "Well, I'm waiting for that man to come to me. I'll 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 make it. I'll meet you halfway." You get rid of five demons. You get rid of five five demons. I'll (laughs) meet you. No, this man was so helpless, was in such darkness and bondage. Jesus made a beeline, and even though there was a storm that tried to prevent him from crossing the sea to that side, then I've been to that side of, of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. The, the son of man, Jesus, makes that trip. He doesn't just come to this earth to be here in this, he goes and he seeks out this man and seeks out and rescues him out of his bondage. That man is a picture of all of us. We are entirely incapable and we are overwhelmed and there's nothing we can do and we need a savior. We cannot rescue ourselves. Your pride cannot save you. You need to be rescued. And so Jesus is the one who comes and rescues you. Uh, I want to be very practical as we prepare to uh, Uh,
1: finish today's broadcast that has been solely introductory. Stop reaching up. Stop trying to live up, stop trying to get up, stop trying to think up, act up. Realize that your attempt to even do that is the most grotesque sin before a holy God. The reality is, he has reached down. But I think today, here's the joy of our statement. Here's the joy of the season. Who has reached down? One who is eternal. Who has reached down? One who has been for all eternity in perfect union, communion, fellowship in the face and the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Who has come down? Not a substitute. Not a representative that is non-divine but God of very God. And for my part, one of the reasons I rejoice in this season is because what I bring to the season is my lowness. Mm-hmm. What he brings to the season is his highness. The highness of all that he is has come to the lowness of all that I am. And when he is through with me, He'll have, through the Son of God, picked me up and allowed me to stand on my feet in adoration and in expectation of all that He will continue to do, simply because I laid as low as I could, and He was as high as He was, and He came to someone of the lowest state and lifted them through Jesus, the Son of God.
0: Amen. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.